sports, but we came here to win. The most legit podcast, that's why we know you're tuning in. We cover the biggest news, we underdogs, but we can't lose. So trust the process, yes you, because we got Chris and Anju to bless you. With the best features, best stories, we diving deep like a Lambo leak. Wake up, kid, and stop snoring, we on point just like this beat. Bring the passion like the dog pound. In the cold, get a gold brand. Sit back and raise the cat, because we start this show like right now. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of The Underdog. Chris Fordell joined by Anshu Kana. Anshu? Chris? What's going on? Not too much. Hopefully I sound a lot better this week than normal, for better or for worse. How's it going with you? <laughs> it's going well. You sound you sound great. We're, you know, we're getting all of this stuff worked out only you know, six months, six and a half months after the <laughs> pandemic hit. That's, that's promising, honestly, ahead of schedule. You're right, right, of course. Well, not only do did we have a lot to do, which obviously is a flat-out lie, we have a lot to talk about because we find ourselves in this this period of, I don't know, sports overload to some degree. It's weird to say that given where we were so, uh, so recently. Mm-hmm. But right now, we have the NBA Finals. We have the Stanley Cup cha- champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. We have NCAA football. We have the MLB playoffs starting. We have NFL. We have positive tests for the first time. It's just so much to talk about. I know. It's uh, it's all come to a head. And we kind of, you know, all those weeks of just kind of talking about the possibility of this happening. And that really never, I don't think either of us really believed that we'd be here already. And um, yeah, I mean, it is full-fledged every single sport going on action. And it's, it's great for us. And uh, I think it's great for a lot of people. And, and you know, like to me, the idea of, of, working from home through a pandemic uh, involved sports being on my TV, like important sports. And, you know, we're having, yeah. we've got nonstop playoff baseball all day. I think it's Manfred's first decent move of the year. <laughs> well, in the White Sox, you, you had some very interesting stuff going on. You call up uh, 2020 first round pick Garrett Crochet and, uh, and Lucas Giolito is perfect for quite a while. Indeed. Yeah. Fun day yesterday or really I would say for the last few weeks with the White Sox, but their last 10 games or so left uh, something to be desired, to say the least. I think they went 2-8, and eight, but, uh, you mm. know, they're here. They're the seven seed. They've now got a 1-0 lead on Oakland, and, um, you know, like, in this specific season, I think it's fair to say anything is possible for them. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time for sure. Well, I can't really get that feeling myself less of an exciting time in in philadelphia sports right now the the phillies unceremoniously eliminated from the uh the potential playoffs and as you mentioned the white Sox were a seven seed the the you know we couldn't even make the expanded playoffs with the roster we have (laughs) there's there's a very very real possibility that jt real muto has played his last game as a philadelphia philly the the presumption is that they will uh, they'll qo Real Muto and Didi Gregorius this offseason in you know honestly in hopes that Didi probably doesn't take it and there's no chance Real Muto's going to so you at least get to add a couple of draft picks to the this nightmare of a season Alec Baum played good that was cool but uh, other than that yeah it's Matt a forgettable sixty hot seat right oh he's that that seat is on fire right now <laughs> hot hot is an understatement they've just done such a terrible job of putting the right roster together, even though, you know, they made panic trade after panic trade after panic trade trying to get the bullpen right, but it was just whoever was brought in with the 
potential uh, exception of David Phelps, who was okay. Just terrible. Just utterly terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, especially when you've spent the money. You know, like, it's one thing that if things don't come together the way you want, but when the picks don't generally pan out, although, like you said, bomb looks good. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then the players that you've traded for become free agents and you see Sixto Sanchez doing what he's doing for the Marlins likely to start in the playoffs here. Um, and, you know, and, and spent so much money and won the offseason multiple years. Like, you obviously want it to all come together. I'm not meaning to throw your fandom or, like, you know, the team that you root for under the bus here, but that is the reality. No, like they, it's fair. They've, they, the general manager is hired to do a job and, you know, the job hasn't been done. And uh, whether that's, like, not closing the deal, uh, you know, to, to – to get into the playoffs or whatever the case may be, they're just in this really rough spot and, uh, you know, the GM's going to feel it. Yeah. And, you know, Bryce Harper started off the year so hot, looked like an MVP candidate through the first couple of weeks and finished the season hitting 268. So <laughs> yeah, good times now with, with a 420 OBP, but mm-hmm. uh, I would still like to see the guy who's making $35 million a year hit above 270. Uh, yeah. Can't blame you there. I I mean, they they just despite his how well he was playing, they were just so cold there in the early to mid stretch. And um, you know, Zach Wheeler was pretty inconsistent early on. Um the Jake Arietta contract just looks like a total dud. And uh yeah, I mean, look, they not all of them are gonna hit, but enough of them have to to make it worthwhile, and it just seems like you know, obviously they have, and I do think they're still positioned pretty well because the players they did spend money on, particularly last off season, you know, I think that in concert with Harper and, you know, the young, some of the young pieces they have will put them in a good spot starting next year. But, you know, they, I, it's tough. It's a 60 game season. You want to make the playoffs with an expanded playoff format, as you pointed out, you got to do it. And, um, you know, when you have one of the top, what, three or four highest paid salary, uh, you know, rosters you've got to you've got to be in that spot well hey let's not forget about the uh the shining light this season former number one overall pick mickey moniak oh, makes his uh, mlb career uh mlb debut eight games 14 at bats hit 214 and uh honestly about as good as we could have expected from a guy that wasn't good enough to be in the majors when they called him up uh, yeah, that I mean, I read that Moniac's failures were a prime reason why Clintac's likely to get the axe, and uh, tough to tough to disagree with that. Well, and it's especially hard when they take Moniac in part because he signs for that underslot, mm-hmm. and I've talked time and time and time again about how stupid I think the Major League Baseball draft is, but then they take that money and they pick a pitcher in the second round who I... I think he got Tommy John. I forget exactly what it was. So now we haven't even seen him pitch in two years. He may never be anything. This is why just take the best guy. Yeah. Just take the best guy. I just, especially when you're that high up, I completely agree. Or the guy that it's got to either to me be the best guy or the, or, or the guy with the highest ceiling or the guy that's mm-hmm. going to make the most obvious impact, like the highest floor guy. I, I hate the middle grounds, you know, like, because that's, yeah. that's where you get, really dicey with like some of these picks and that's just it's just the nature of the MLB draft they you get so caught up in in the money aspect and trying to collect players and you know obviously it's terrible luck when you have you know Tommy John with a big prospect but it's still ter- you know it's still something that's somewhat 
you know, forecastable. And as you know, mm. anytime you take a young pitcher, there's a possibility that that's going to happen. So you better be pretty damn well sure that if wanting him re- is the reason why you take an understop player in the first round, one of those two has to work out. And um, you know, obviously they're shooting over two there. Yeah, the the player I was thinking of was Kyle Gowdy out of Santa Barbara High School in California. Is yet to do absolutely anything at all, and and that's hard when you know you you look at the Major League Baseball draft, which is you know more of a crapshoot than any other draft, obviously. But Senzel, who admittedly didn't have the best year this year, has been struggling a little bit. Has had injuries and stuff like that. But then you have Ian Anderson sitting there at number three. And, you know, Ian Anderson looks like a guy who is going to be a large part of that Braves pitching staff for a really long time. And that's, you know, that's frightening because not only do you not get a guy, but yeah, you let a guy right. pass who goes to a division rival. And then the Braves come back in the second round. You know, you, they they had Kyle Mueller. I believe that was the Joey Wentz draft. Mm-hmm. They've they've just done such a good job of adding pitching Bo Bichette sitting there at 66. Obviously, that is... a uh, that's a miss, but I think a lot Senzel of other people one, miss there. The Senzel one is the one that hurts. Like, I know he didn't have a great year last year, but he has just been so good in the minors. And, you know, a player like that, again, like, his floor is still major league contributor, like probable offensive threat. And he's, yeah. you know, his versatility for the Reds has been so, so well-documented and really impressive to me. I didn't think that he had that in him. Um, but to play, like, second, third, and center is is – wild value and so i i mean i and i think that he's still got a lot ahead of him so yeah i mean look there's it's not just moniac though we've been on this show for literally years where you've you know sort of just been like ah oh, man this the, there's so many guys that we could have had here but we have this player that yeah. player and it's it's just tough i mean it's it's tough that's that's how you get fired yeah, I will say Corey Ray goes five. He was another player who yeah. was in that in that conversation at one as a super underslot, and he just stinks too. Yeah. So it's the look. It's the baseball draft. Weird stuff happens. AJ Puck goes six. Who knows what that that injury good. history is going to look like? Yeah. He, but yeah. the in, you got to worry about you got to worry about you know shoulder and arm injuries sure. with pitchers. Absolutely. I mean, so. their choice was between Moniak and um, Senzel. That's that's really what it boils down to. The other guys were it's likelier to fall or like we're kind of in that little range. Cause I remember that draft pretty vividly and Senzel was clearly like, there was a chance he could go. I mean, it was, it was clear. He was probably going to go number two there. And that's probably at the end of the day, why he's not a Philadelphia Philly, because mm-hmm. if you, if he knows he's going number two, he's not going to take that big under slot to go number one. It's just not how that game is played. That's why the draft is stupid. And uh, you know, that's how, you know, bad teams stay bad. But look, we're not here to uh, whine about the Phillies right now. It's going to be a whole whole hot stove offseason to do that. Let's talk about what's going on in the National Football League. Nine members as of today of the Tennessee Titans organization have tested positive for coronavirus. <clears throat> Their game against the Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend is going to be postponed. They're looking to be played Monday or Tuesday, though even that seems dicey mm-hmm. to me. What was your initial thought when you saw this headline? Uh, you know, uh, I mean, it's just been too, we've flown way too close to the sun with football as far as yeah. like no, like zero positives. I mean, I just, I I'm, I literally cannot believe it and I don't believe it. But at some point, you know, there's going to be a group and now they, you know, we've gotten to this point. I'm just glad the Vikings didn't really have any. Um, and so, you know, they'll, they'll move forward. I think that they'll, 
they'll get a chance to play. I mean, this is this is going to set the precedent for the rest of the year. I know there was some talk I saw mm-hmm. on Twitter of the possibility of like swapping buys around and some other different options. I don't see that happening. Obviously, just too many logistical hoops to jump through there. But um, you know, obviously, the hope is just like keep it contained and hope that it you know it doesn't postpone a week of of several teams games and that it doesn't you know carry over to next week the other thought i had was and i'm thinking about it really now more than then but like the idea of the fact that they don't have to play anyone or come into contact with any other team for a week is a huge benefit that the nfl has that you know that baseball didn't and basketball didn't where like when the jazz had it it meant there was the contact tracing show that you know five or six or eight teams may have had it within a degree of separation and so that I yeah. think that I don't know if that's kind of where you're at with it. I'm I'm not going to act like I have any idea of how long that that you know that might carry over. It might be two games, but like you can keep it somewhat contained in a weekly league. You know what I mean? It's certainly easier. There's no question about that. And you have more time to to get everything right and make the proper decisions. Right. I'm just I'm just worried that to, you know Tuesday is still too soon because mm-hmm. what we know about this thing is it can take a while for people to exactly. test positive. That's exactly what my concern is that 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 that's the case that over the course of the week this might be like what happened with the Marlins you know where like oh today it's three tomorrow it's five tomorrow the next day it's nine and you know and the mm-hmm. NFL even admitted yesterday they said they have no plans to postpone the game today they're saying Monday or Tuesday to your I I agree with your sort of doubts on that and. Um, because like they said, they're going to go back and look at some of the testing and, and the test results and see who it was and where they were. And, you know, I, I just, it's way too early to make a call on that because you just don't know when they contracted it. You don't know. I, I, I mean, you don't know who they came in contact with. And like, I think that that, like, that's why almost every other daily testing to me is the only way where you can be, you can feel absolutely certain. And when you have a multi-billion dollar industry like you know this is i think that it's worth mm. the the efforts to to roll that kind of testing and that kind of stuff out to you know to all the players and really the, the people within the organization because as you say nine members of the titans organization tested positive not nine players and i think that that yeah. you know they all interact and it's something to to heavily consider as of this morning, it looks like those numbers are three players and six members of the uh, organization, including potentially some coaches. But yeah, it's it's, it's dicey. And I al- I've always said that if it was me making this decision, and granted, I'm taking I'm looking at it from a position where I'm I'm not worried about the financial ramifications of it because that's not my job. But if it were me, if if a team has multiple positive tests, you just don't play that weekend. That's what it has to be for the safety of every other team in the league. I agree. I mean, look, if the Eagles were playing, well, I shouldn't use the Eagles as an example. because Forfeit. I accept the yeah. forfeit. I accept the forfeit. <laughs> if the Packers were playing, I wouldn't want them getting out there against the Titans and jeopardizing what is, you know, potentially successful season or even a, forget it about successful, just for the safety of the players and the organization, obviously, that's number one. And um, yeah, I mean, I would be concerned. And if I'm a Titans fan, I'm very concerned. Like, this thing could spread quickly and NFL, the NFL football is a very high contact sport as we know. So like, I don't know. I, it, that would give me a, uh, yeah, I don't know when they yeah. tested. And I, I, you know, like even if they were to test Sunday morning, it doesn't mean that they don't have it, you know? So. Right. Exactly. And that's the concern. It's, 
this turnaround is too quick. We, we've been conditioned that it's 14 days. We have to be in quarantine. And they're hoping that we can figure this out in about an eight. Yeah. It just, it seems like cutting corners that shouldn't be cut. Well, and that's the thing though. It's not even eight. It's really just through like four. Because they find out about mm-hmm. it. I assume maybe they find out about it Monday, right? And so, right. okay, maybe not four. So that's like six days. Because you say you test it. First of all, they, there's no way they immediately tested every single player, I would think. Um, but maybe, maybe they did. But then you have to, you really have to test them every other day till then, up till Sunday. And then, fine, maybe some of the players definitely don't test positive for six days. They Maybe those guys are eligible. But it, but. I, I don't know. I, and you don't even know if that's good enough. So I'm not sure. Agreed. Agreed. It's terrifying. I just hope we're not looking back at this in a couple of weeks and saying, why didn't we stop it when we could have? Yeah, because I, I feel zero. like as a country, we've been there before. <laughs> oh, you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I agree. I'm, I, you know, in retrospect, I'm pretty amazed that baseball's done the job they have done after how, yeah. how, you know, sort of daunting the first few weeks were. So, you know, if this is, I don't, I don't think it's an isolated case. I think we're going to see more of this. I think we're going to see a bigger case, if not multiple bigger cases over the course of the year. But, you know, to the extent they can contain it and not let it spread across to to other teams and or if they, you know, they're also, it just blows my mind that they never had fail safes in place for this, like, you know, alternative buys or the possibility that if this, then that, like, I just, right. I'm, I don't see that happening um, or, or that in place. And I'm not sure that they know what they're doing there. I think you're right. And that seems like as troubling a place as any to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey guys, it's Chris and the wait is finally over. Football is in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on all of the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any other place online. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on win, division, and champion futures right now don't wait do it right now head to bet online today to take advantage of the great sign up bonuses this is a really fun week in the nfl week four tends to be when we find out who's real who's fake who's just good because they had an easy schedule teams sort themselves out and the slate for this weekend is incredible we've got the pittsburgh steelers at the tennessee titans we wonder when this game's going to be played is it going to be monday is it going to be tuesday we don't know yet. We've got the Patriots and the Chiefs. Can the Patriots fare better again than the Ravens did last weekend against this dominant Chiefs team? We shall see. And we've got the upstart Buffalo Bills going to Las Vegas to take on the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm excited about all of it. I imagine you are as well. And if you want to get in on those games and all of the action, visit our good friends and the exclusive partner at Podcast One Bet Online to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure you use that promo code PODCAST1, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-O-N-E, for your sign-up bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Anshu, we're back. I want to stay with football for a second, but head to the college ranks right now. We've got a lot of interesting stuff going on. News comes out today that Minnesota receiver Rashad Bateman has been cleared after earlier opting out of the season, uh, that Penn State linebacker Micah Parsons is not coming back. But what I want to talk to you about is Mike Leach 
Mississippi State and his first game ever in the SEC. All that happens is Mike Leach and uh, and quarterback KJ Costello go 44-34 for a win over number six LSU, and Costello sets the SEC passing record with 623 yards and five touchdowns. (laughs) I know. I, you know, I actually, I bet on Mississippi State in part because I felt like LSU was just missing way too many players. We found out Saturday, Derek Stingley, the all-world corner is not going to play. Jamar Chase, of course, not playing. Um, You know, completely different offense with Joe Brady gone and maybe not completely, but certainly different. And it's completely different. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you could tell from the way it looked that it was not the same. The defense still looks really good, but or, I mean, the front looked pretty good. The D, the back end is not the same at all um, without Stingley and obviously Delpit and other pieces. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, this LSU team is not last year's LSU by any means, but still so impressive for MSU to go in there and, and you know, blow the doors off of them really in Death Valley. So a uh, very impressive debut for Leach. I, I mean, seeing what he's able to do with probably the most talent he's ever had is uh, it, it's – got to be a little bit of a scary thing especially because kj costello to me is is like whatever you know but to oh agreed completely number, yeah i mean seeing him in the big 10 for those years like not impressive but and even at the beginning of this game not impressive but you know that leech offense is just fun and it knows how to find open space and even against a pretty very very talented lsu defense and a good defensive mind um you know it's it's wasn't well, enough wasn't even they, they, it's it's LSU's in for a long season, in my opinion. Uh, yes, I think that's absolutely true. But I'm so glad that we're on the same page about Costello, mm-hmm. because to me that seemed like the most mediocre quarterback to throw for 600 yards that I have ever seen in my life. He just didn't he didn't look that impressive to me. No, I agree. I mean, he's just like in, especially early. He didn't look very good. Like it, it's. I don't know. I uh, how what do you, how much do you attribute to like Leach's system, and how much do you attribute to LSU just like losing, hemorrhaging all their smart coaches and a lot of their really mm. talented players? I think it's obviously a combination of the things. The LSU team isn't the LSU team of old, but still, you can't take 623 yards passing away from Costello and and Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. They sure. they earned that. I think it's kind of a perfect combination of an offense that is perfectly tailor-made for him and a quarterback who is, you know, a smart guy who's been in college football for like nine years now. Yeah. So (laughs) he's here, he's ready to play. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Uh, It it looked good, but uh, yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page because, you know, after that game, obviously there's a lot of draft community hype about KJ Costello, and I just do not see that at all. Uh, has there been, you know, because every year, and this year is a little bit different than others with what's going on in college football, every year we see quarterbacks rising up draft boards. Has there been a guy who has really impressed you in the limited sample size this year? I I, I already like this guy a lot, and I was very intrigued to see how he would perform. But Kyle Trask, to me, is mm-hmm. the name to circle as far as, like, you know, you don't expect a Burrow-esque jump, and I, I don't expect that out of him either. But very impressive to me. Um, you know, Sam Ellinger is going to have his, his fans for sure as well. And for good reason. Um, but he's just a different kind of guy, you know? Uh, I, I mean, he strikes me as like the ideal second round quarterback, but yeah, Trask is one to circle for sure in my mind. How about you? Well, I'm, I'm curious on your take on the, the media darling that is Derek King. 
I'm not there with him yet. Uh, I know, you know, a couple not easy primetime-ish matchups for him, but uh, yeah, I'm not like, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not with the media on that one, are you? He, rising on the board, but I would say right now, instead of the late first round pick where you're seeing on like the NFL draft reddits or stuff like that, mm-hmm. I think he's in. I think he's in that early third day as a developmental guy for me. But with the opportunity to continue to move up, yeah, right. I mean, it's early. He's still. Uh, he's gonna at some point play a better team or two along the way. But yeah, so far pretty good. I. I mean, we'll see. Uh, also impressed with Spencer Rattler, obviously, but he's not on the yeah. radar for this year, of course. Well, and there's another Spencer that I'm fascinated in this season, and that's Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State. Obviously, oh. very, very limited sample size, yeah. but like he's he's just very like he, he kind of feels Mayfieldy to me. Mm, interesting. That's I haven't heard that comp. I, I'll have to watch a little bit more of them. They looked the first. I saw their first half of the season, and they looked. So out of sorts, but obviously have yeah. gotten it together a little bit more since then. Well, it's also worth pointing out that Sanders has two attempts on the season because of an injury. Oh, there you go. But <laughs> so that that does limit the ability. But yeah, I know I I just I, he has that innate feel. I there's something about Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State I really like. Now he's a redshirt sophomore, so it probably doesn't make sense to come out in the draft this year. But a guy to watch in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really want to go deeper into things, but we just have so much stuff to talk about. Let's go over to the NBA, talk about the uh, the NBA Finals, which are set to kick off very, very soon. The Miami Heat take on the Los Angeles Lakers. How do you feel about this one? I want to say that playing in uh, the bubble will help level the playing field, and the Heat have been easily the most impressive team in this bubble. But I don't... I don't really see an avenue to Miami competing with the Lakers. I saw a really interesting um, little nugget. I don't know if you knew this, but there. I when was the last time there were two All NBA first teamers from that same season in the finals together? Do you know? I don't know it offhand. I'm. Uh, oh God. I am not sure. I don't think. When, it, I, I believe. Give I, me the number. I think it wasn't since Jordan and Pippen. So, oh my god! Yeah. Oh, to play on the same team. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting that because, because, right? Well, that's interesting because we're now in this era of the superstar teams, right? So you you would think that would be more recent, but those guys also cannibalize each other's exactly. numbers to some degree when they team up. That's I, I'm I'm surprised that was maybe Kobe Wade and must Shaq have been might have that might have been one. was. What about LeBron and Wade? No, I don't think Wade ever was with LeBron. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought that Durant I'm... and Curry might have been too, but oh yeah, that that is not one either. That's interesting. All right, so 2019, and we're talking first team, right? You're right. 2019, Giannis, LeBron, Harden, Davis, and Lucas. So there you go. Uh, 2018, Giannis, Paul George, Jokic, Harden, and Steph. 2017, LeBron. Oh yeah, where is where is Steph? Is third team mm-hmm. All Pro, All NBA in 2017-2018. Right. Yeah. LeBron, Durant, Davis, Harden, Lillard. 2016, we have LeBron, Kawhi, um, Davis. Well, there's there's those yeah, two again. Harden yeah. Harden and Westbrook, but they weren't uh, you know weren't teammates mm-hmm. at that point. 
2015 LeBron, Kawhi, DeAndre Jordan, Steph, and Russell Westbrook. Boy, DeAndre Jordan. 2014 uh, LeBron, <laughs> LeBron, Anthony Davis. There are fixtures on this first team. <laughs> I Marcus guess it wouldn't Soul. have come as a surprise that they would be on it together this year. Right, especially since they're not they're not both wings or they're not both guards where they yeah. are going to take more touches away from each other. Right, right. Harden and Steph, uh, Durant, ha- Durant, LeBron, Joachim Noah, Harden and Chris Paul in 2013-2014. Oh, well, Chicago Bull, Joachim Noah. That's right. 2012-2013, uh, I'm not going to go back too much further because we're proving the point here. Yes. But LeBron, Le- LeBron, Durant, Duncan, Bryant, Paul... LeBron James, Dwight Howard, Kobe, and D Rose, Durant James, Howard, Bryant, D Rose. Maybe That's, Howard oh, wow. and Kobe might have been on one together then. Was that around? Uh, how, this this was Orlando Magic. Okay, there you go. Dwight Howard. So yeah, I don't. And then we don't. Okay, uh, LeBron and and Wade in twenty in two thousand nine two thousand ten. The question is. Was that the Miami period? No, I and don't, it must not have been. That so. must have been Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2009 NBA season. There may have yeah, been he must a have still... rogue Kobe Pau Gasol one in there, but I believe I, I looked it up. And it, it was it was Mark Gasol, right? Pau didn't make first team. No, no, I meant like in the like 08 range, maybe. Uh, oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I'm looking to see where LeBron played at this point. Oh uh, well, the, the the Cavs were the runners up in the East, so yeah. I'm guessing he was in Cleveland. Yeah, I think it was 2010 was the decision. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, what did you did you say? You said Kobe and uh, and Powell. I, I doubt that. Uh, though. I don't think Powell ever made a first team. Uh, Kobe and uh, Nash and Amari was was a, where was Amari? In 2006, because that's interesting. Oh, that could be, but they didn't make the the finals together. Is the point? Well, that's okay. Well, there you go. Well, I guess I guess the exercise at some point became two players on the same team to make the first team. But you're right, they did not make the yeah. finals together. Right. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah, that that is really surprising. Um, I want to talk about a player who we who was brought up on this list, and you know now wants a trade out of Indy, and that's Victor Oladipo. What do you make of this? Do you, first of all, I guess, where do you stand on Oladipo right now? Are you buying or selling Oladipo? Uh, well, I, I would probably... Oh, man, that's a good question. I guess, like, versus a year ago today, I would say selling for sure. Yeah, I mean, you have to be a little concerned with what you've seen out of him this year. Um, obviously, he doesn't make it to the bubble, and, like, it's just... Yeah, I'd be a little concerned with him, but at the same time, he's not a guy that, like has relied heavily on his athleticism in my mind. Like he's definitely a length sort of player and cerebral sort of player. So, um, you know, it depends what you're, what's being asked for, but I would, I would not want to be maxing Oladipo by any means. So I guess I'm selling. But did Oladipo not end up playing in the bubble? I thought he did. Did he actually? I thought he didn't. I think, I, I think the original plan was that he wasn't going to, Oh, okay. but, but then he did. I'm looking to, uh, Indiana Pacers guard Victor Oladipo is in the lineup for his NBA team's bubble debut Saturday against the Philadelphia 76ers. Oh, there you go. And he actually played so. pretty heavy minutes against the Heat in the playoffs. Now that I look at it, eh, decent, decent numbers, actually. He, wow, this is wild. So game one, he only scored four points in nine minutes. Then he averaged uh, like 30, probably 38 minutes a game and scored 20, 22, and 25. So... 
what's really what's really interesting about this is that you know what we talked back to six months ago when we were debating what sports we would have if anything this could have very easily been its own 45 minute show <laughs> the victor oladipo trade request at one point oh no uh, and, question. And, and now we don't even have a chance to really go into it but is there are there any teams that immediately jump out to you as really good fits for oladipo because you know we've seen all the rumors that the Celtics could be trying to make a play for Oladipo and um, and Miles Turner, mm. who also apparently wants out. For who? Uh, I, well, Gordon Hayward's been one of the guys who's come up because he would go back to Indiana. Mm. Um, Ooh, that's cool. I, I am yeah, well, cooler for Hayward than the Pacers, I would say. But, <laughs> yes. uh, although I guess you're trading one, one injury risk for another at this point. So Turner... Turner really would scare me on that Celtics team because he gives them an aspect that they don't have with the shot blocking three point shooting center. Mm-hmm. So not a big fan of that, but I don't know. Does any, does anybody jump out to you? Do you have any interest uh, in Victor Oladipo for your Chicago Bulls? Uh, nah, not really. To be honest, <laughs> I would rather, I'd rather roll the dice with like marking in and just see what happens, you know, like, and I mean, if Oladipo especially is demanding like a max deal, which I'm assuming he, he will, um, that complicates matters, of course. So I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know that he's that kind of player right now. I, I know it's a year removed. Maybe I'm just like blind spotting him a little bit, but that's that's a tough fit on a lot of teams because he's like, he's a weirdly not that scarce resource in the N- NBA in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm sure there are there are some teams. There are a lot of teams I'm sure that could use him. I mean, is he a decent fit with the Suns next to Booker? Maybe like as a defensive minded, or are they too too similar as like pure you know two three types? That's interesting. You know, that's interesting. I think they're both more one twos than two threes. Although in the modern NBA, who the hell knows what anybody is? Right. The thing about Oladipo that's really interesting is he kind of living off the reputation from that first season in Indiana, right? Yes. The 2017-2018 season when he gets traded from OKC to Indiana in the in the Paul George trade, he blows up, scores 23 a game, shoots really well, shoots 37% from three, which the high, is the highest of his career. He's a career 35% shooter. Mm. And give, while giving you the rest of the stat stuffing that he always does, the five rebounds, the four assists, playing great defense— all of that super valuable player in Indy, no question about it, and w- worth being on the All NBA third team that season. Mm-hmm. Just hasn't been that good since then. He is Oladipo when he is at his peak. Seems to me like he is a great third player exactly. on a potential championship team. He's a perfect third. He's like uh, like a younger Iguodala almost. Like I mean, and not quite the explosive player that Iguodala was back then either. But yeah, I mean. I, like I was just thinking with the Bucks, you know, every trade that I think of this year, I'm going to be thinking about the Bucks, obviously. Yeah, of course. Um, but you know, he's a lesser Middleton in almost every single way. So like, you know, much lesser. Right, right. But like, is Middleton hasn't Middleton proved that he can't be the second best player on a champion? So yeah. Yeah. I'm, no. Yeah. Agreed. I I think that a three is it for Oladipo. I think yeah. he's got to be that third player. Now, and there's there's a place for him on the right team because no, no. he is a guy who can get a bucket in the half court, and that's a super valuable thing. That would be a super valuable thing in Philadelphia. I just wouldn't be... You know, I had this conversation the other day when this came up, and that was, you know, how what would you give up for Victor Oladipo if you're a Philadelphia? And let's put this in perspective. Oladipo plays... 
Uh, he played 19 games this year, 36 games the year prior. Averaged 18 last year, 14 this year. And he's also on the last year of a deal. He's making $20 million, $21 million. You're probably going to have to pay him more than that to re-sign him. Mm-hmm. I st- like, you know, I started thinking like, okay, would you trade? You start because I guess when you you think of Oladipo, you think his his reputation is a little bit better than he is at this point, and you immediately go to like, all right, well, would I trade? You can't trade Tobias, who actually would be an interesting fit in India as a four, but he makes way too much money. Right. Um. So it's probably got to be Josh Richardson. Josh Richardson last year, 16.6 points to Oladipo's 18.8. Another guy who is a really a defense-first guard. The, the three-point shooting, pretty similar. Although, you know, actually, Josh is a better three-point shooter in his career, 36% versus 35%. And, and Josh also is on a super reasonable deal where he's only making $10 million. I, I don't know that I would be willing to trade that much more than Josh Richardson. Like guys like like Matisse Thibel is the player who everyone tries to get in every single trade with Philadelphia would be totally off the board for me. Wow. Like would I do Josh would I do Josh Richardson and you know the this year's first round pick for Oladipo and maybe throw in some second round picks? Yeah, probably because I think Oladipo is a better fit in Philadelphia than Richardson is. But I wouldn't trade that much more for the gamble that he's going to be closer to the 2017 version. Yeah, I mean, it is a gamble. And again, you have to pay down for it, too. It's not just whatever you give up. It's also presumably the money to, you know, to hand him. I I would think at some point just so that you're not, you know, empty handed if you were to leave. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a really fascinating thought. It might be worth the gamble in case he does reclaim where he was a, a year ago. And I'm guessing that's why the Pacers played him so much in the bubble now that I look at it. Like, because mm-hmm. to me, like, it's, it seems pretty clear that he that's not where he's going to be for a while. And I'm guessing that means that they haven't offered him, you know, a big deal to extend him. Oh, no way. I mean, if when a guy comes out and says, I'm ready to move on, you can assume that the contract isn't what he wanted it to be. Right. Which is a shame because, like, you know, the Pacers put a lot of eggs in that basket by trading George for essentially for him. And even Demonis Sabonis. Let's not forget Demonis Sabonis. Right. No, I mean, and Sabonis is probably at this point a better player. Uh, but like, you yeah, know, it's at the time. I think it was it was definitely an Oladipo trade to me, at least. Um, but yeah, like the, But and, you know, having been a Hoosier and everything like it, it was just such a cool story. And it seemed like he wanted to stay there, which is somewhat of a rarity, I would say, for the Pacers to be able to hang on to players. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of a shame that they're not that that this is kind of how it ended because that was such a weird and bizarre and, you know, nasty injury. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I certainly agree that at that time, that was a, that was a Victor Oladipo trade. Oladipo, uh, 15 points, uh, f- almost 16 points a game, his 24 year old season in Oklahoma city that last year before the trade. Right. Sabonis really played it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in a, in a horrendous draft where honestly, probably, I mean, uh, there's some guys who went 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 uh, out of the top ten who would certainly make a claim for this, but he probably should have been the first pick uh, with the guys who actually went in that area. It's, it's pretty fair, yeah. Uh, Sabonis that year, five point nine points per game, in what I believe was his rookie year in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. So it's it's crazy, but all right. Well, <laughs> that was a lot. That was a, a a lot to get in a very short period of time. That's going to be it for this episode of The Underdog. For Anshu I'm Chris Horwardell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here later this week.